Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Everybody say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible Word of God. I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name, shout hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated. How many of you have my financial word scriptures that I've given out? If you don't have it with you today, you need it. And if you don't, I've got one that I can give you right here. So if uh, maybe I'll tell you what, uh, Rick, I'll put you on the side over here. And I, if I can get Sean on the other side to help me. Uh, if you're here and you need one and you don't have one, uh, they're yours for the taking right now. And you can have one. They are there. They are there. Open your Bibles, though, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and verse 18. Let me plug in and get there myself, if I can get this thing right here moving up, and I think that I can. All right. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 is where we begin. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on some of these things that we're looking at just now because i got some new material that I want to bring into the subject today as we talk about... Uh, the financial structure that God has laid out for us in the Word of God. Some of the biggest problems that people face nowadays, number one at the top of the list for married couples, single, it doesn't matter, the top of the list seem to be financial issues. And certainly in the world that we are now living, there are financial challenges everywhere. And uh, in this world, I, you know, I'd love to say to you that, you know, it's going to get better, better, and better, but I don't see any indicators uh, in the natural that things will get better financially. Uh, I see indicators where things are in terrible, terrible, explosive conditions financially for our country that existing right now today. And so if that's going to be the case, what I really need to make sure we do is we get our own financial house in order that we be prepared. Because you know what? You, you can come against a storm that comes against you if you are prepared to battle that storm. If you've got a house that is sound and secure and it keeps the rain and the weather and the wind out, the storm doesn't bother you if you don't have that kind of structure to live in. And so financially, we need to make structures in our life that will protect us from the storm that is now raging and the one that is yet to come. And uh, still coming. We just cannot go on like we are going. $33 trillion of debt. $33 trillion of debt in America. I mean, that's for like every time a child is born. Miss Naomi that was recently born. Others, Jury and other folks that have children recently born. Came to this world owing almost half a million dollars in debt. Half a million. And so it's incredible right now how much money is being spent. And as the money is spent, we don't have it. And so when we print it, it causes inflation. 
And wow, things cost so much now. It's just incredible. Sheila was telling me just the other day that when she was uh, reworking uh, some book and issues she was going to talk about, books going up double and triple. In pri- I mean, th- things like that, just all over, going up, going up, going up. And so, you know what? You and I need to make sure that we're doing things financially sound. Now, the thing is this. We don't want to do what the world tells us to do about our finances. The last thing you want to do is listen to the world system. Because they are, it's a structure that is out there that is meant to keep the guys at the top very, very wealthy and feed crumbs along all the way to the bottom financial structure to feed crumbs along just to keep people walking on our financial treadmills that keep producing for them. And so we don't want to listen to the financial advice of this world. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, 2, and 3, and it talks about the, that we do not give heed to the counsel of this world. We're not listening. We don't walk in the path or the counsel of sinners and the ungodly. We don't do that. And so thinking along those lines, I put together a number of scriptures that you have on that green sheet that you have. Now, there's more in the Bible than what I put down right there. That's just all I could get cram-packed on, you know, two pages that you see there, uh, spaced at 80% rather than the full 100. So, you know, I, I jammed all my, I could get in there, but there are others. And so let, let's sort of begin looking just a little bit today and see what God tells us about our financial life. Notice Deuteronomy 8, 18, we'll just read it very quickly. But thou shalt remember the Lord your God, it's he that gives you power to get wealth. Again, the power to get wealth is found in God. God gives us that power to get wealth. And if God gives us power to get wealth, there ain't nothing bad about wealth, not in wealth by itself. There are things bad about, and I'll say, first, first off here, there are things bad about wealth when people use it wrongly. But you know what? There's bad about anything when they use it wrongly. You, you can have a, a medical issue in your life and have a, maybe a prescription that meets your need and that cures that medical issue in your life as long as you take it. But you can take that prescription and you can abuse it and then it's, you know, it's, it does what it was never intended to do and it's wrong and it'll destroy you. The same thing is about money. There is not, money is not the love of all or, or you know, the root of all evil, but the love of it is. The love of it, greed, that's a problem. That's the issues, but not money in itself. And so if it was, God wouldn't be the one that would be giving us this power to get wealth. Now you say, well, if God gives me power to get wealth, listen to this real clearly. How's he doing it? He's doing it right now. As I share these verses of Scripture, that's your power to get wealth. Don't, don't think it's something somewhere else that all of a sudden you're just going to walk out and God's going to dump wealth in you. No. You're going to receive and become wealthy in your life, financially blessed, as you put into practice the spiritual laws and scriptural rules that we find in Scripture. And so notice that first off, God is the one who gives us power to get wealth. We, we looked at that. We looked in Deuteronomy, and we saw there that the Scripture taught that, the, you know, for the children of Israel as they come out of Egyptian bondage, Deuteronomy 28, verse 13, notice the last part of it. Uh, Everything I command you do this day, the commandments, you hearken, you listen to them, you will observe to do them. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You'll be above only and not beneath. Notice verse 12, you'll lend to many nations and you shall not borrow. The blessed life is that life of not having to borrow money, whether it be for credit cards, whether it be for automobiles, whether it be for even houses, other things like that as well. The blessed life is not having to borrow money. Now, again, borrowing money is not sinful. And it's not wrong. Jesus taught us in the book of Matthew that the very least that you could do when you have money, 
put it, give it to the bankers, the lenders, and they will pay you usury, King James language, or interest, and you'll make a little money. So he would advise you to do something that was an evil practice. But at the same time, you can use debt and those kind of things in your life, and it becomes so powerful in your life that it'll take you over, and it will make all your decisions for you. You can't decide to do this, that, or the other because debt is telling you what you can do and what you can't do. And so the blessed life is not being in debt. How many can agree with that? Somebody say amen. That's a blessed life when, you, when you're not in debt. All right, so we looked at that. We noticed in First Chronicles 29 and verse 12 that you'll see, three-fourths of the way down, riches and honor come of God. Again, again, get that through your thinking. If you've got that thinking that only, you know, the wealthy are evil and wicked and, uh, you know, they must have did something crooked or something wrong to receive their wealth, no, no. Riches and honor come of God. Now, do some people do things like that and get temporarily, uh, you know, wealth and that kind of, yes, they do. But the kind of wealth that God gives us, he does not add sorrow to it. There is sorrow to the wealth that comes to the world. We looked, we saw Job 36, 11, a great verse of Scripture. If they obey and serve him, they'll spend their days in prosperity and years in pleasure. Days in prosperity and years in pleasure. The verse I just mentioned just before, Psalms 1, 1, blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And so well, that's why we're going to God's Word to see what God tells us. Psalms 34, verse 10. Notice this, that the young lions lack and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack or shall not want any good thing. And so if I put God first in my life, I have God's Word, God's promise, I'm not going to lack. What do we say in 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? We don't want. With a good shepherd like the Lord, then we don't have a need that he cannot supply. In Psalms 35, verse 27, notice again, God is pleased and has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. When you are doing well financially, God is happy. You bring joy to the Lord's heart when you are able to bless and you're able to do good and you're able to minister to other people financially. When, when you're able, AJ talked about giving to the building fund, when you're able to do that, when you're able to supply maybe someone's need that's in a situation or circumstance and you're able to write them a check for $1,000 or $5,000, whatever the case, ten, twenty, whatever, and you're able to do that, then God's pleased that you're blessed and that you can bless other people in your life. It makes God happy, just like when you see your children. You don't want to see your children without. You don't want to see them struggling. You don't want to see them having difficulty making ends meet. You're, you're happy when you see that they are financially blessed and money's not this big pressure and stress thing in their life, and they're free from that, and it makes you happy. Psalms 37 verse 4 says, If you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And so recognize that you can have the blessings of this life. You can have the desires of your heart. Uh, we saw again, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your increase. Everything you get, first thing you ought to do is give something to the Lord. Whatever you have in your life, whatever blessing comes your way, make sure you honor God with the first fruits. Remember, some people say things like this. Well, I would, you know, give and give my tithe and I would give my offering. And I would bless other people and support the needy and I'd do all these kind of things. But after I pay them all my bills, I don't have any money left. Problem is, is your budget is upside down. You put all your bills before your obedience to God. If you'll flip it and put your obedience to God first, you'll never have that problem. Somebody say Amen. And you'll have a good, clean, clear conscience, too. You'll feel good about yourself. You will feel good about yourself. So we honor the Lord. We saw that. 
In Proverbs 10, verse 22, don't get mad, but here's what the Bible says. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. In Proverbs 13, 22, a good man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. And so the thing we want to do, we want to have our own needs supplied. We want to have those all met. We want to have an abundance. We want to have more than an abundance. And not only that, abundance to bless and share and give and do all the things that we do, but not only that, then have enough to leave into our children's children. It's called creating generational wealth, generational wealth in your life. One blessing that Sheila and I got uh, when we were uh, first married, uh, my dad uh, gave us, uh, in fact, he gave us six acres of land. Now, that's pretty good that I didn't have to go buy the land, and we've got that six acres of land that's there. Uh, Her dad... Uh, gave us a, a number of years ago, many years ago, uh, gave us a, a very, very large gift uh, that he gave us then when we were in debt then and didn't know how to use it and blew it. Whatever. But anyway, he gave us a very, very large gift. So to both her family and my family coming together, that helped Leon and Sheila have a good pad and foundation where they can begin to build wealth on. And, and so if you can leave something, not just for you, but have something you can plant into your children's life, and when you do that, then that's, that's, that's a good man. So that's our goal. That's our goal. My goal is not to, to have the next greatest, best, this and that and the other. I, I have a lot of that already, but that's not my goal. My goal is to build wealth and, and to build increase in my life that I'll leave to my children. Well, that's what the Bible says. Good men will do that. So I'm, I'm a, trying to be a good man. I, I believe that I am. Try to be. Let the Lord judge me. But that's, that's what I'm wanting to do in my life. Well, Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The thoughts or the plans of a diligent man tends only to plenteousness. So if you don't have a thought or a plan that's tending to plenteousness, change your thoughts and change your plans. Change them. Get a thought, get a plan that will tend to plenteousness. Okay? All right. We talked about that. Then we talked about, in Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Remember that, that that the rich will rule over the poor always. The rich makes the rules, those kind of things like that. Fred Sanford said many years ago he believed in the golden rule. That meant the man with the gold rules. Now, that's Fred Sanford style, but still, uh, it's talking about the rich rule over the poor. And, and so the borrower, he becomes a servant or a slave to the lender. What was We had a little proverb, neither a borrower nor a lender, be, something like that years ago. It sort of went out of our vocabulary in America now, but, but it used to be like that. I mean, I, I remember in one of the uh, early days of my young life in a church when they were talking about borrowing money uh, to build a new structure for the church. It, it almost caused that church to blow up. Because some of the people stood up and said, oh, no, we can't borrow money. No, we're not going to do that. Let's don't borrow money. No, 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 God of supply. God of supply. Then you had another group saying, well, we don't have the money. We've got to borrow it, got to borrow it, got to borrow it. And there's this big struggle. But nowadays, you know, people don't have that discussion. They just head to the plan. How much can I get? How much can I borrow? Uh, whatever, that kind of thing. And, and when you, even when they sell cars now, I want to go that. What, what do they say many times? How much can you afford to pay? You know, watch, what, what monthly payments. So we are in a world that's sort of geared toward credit and geared toward debt. But recognize that the borrower, he's servant to the lender. He's got to do what the lender tells him to do. You get that car and you borrow that money on it and uh, you get that car and you're owing for it uh, every month. Uh, stop making those payments and find out what happens. I mean, you're serving that person. 
And so I figured out a long time ago, I don't want to be the person that's borrowing the money to buy whatever it is I'm buying, and then they're making money off of what I'm buying plus the interest of it. I want to be the person on the other side, the other side of that. I don't want to be the borrower. I'll be the lender, but I don't want to be the borrower. Okay. In, in Proverbs 24, verse 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep, poverty comes on you as travail. And so doing nothing produces nothing. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Remember the song? Nothing. Won't produce anything. You're going to have to have some kind of action. You're going to have to do something. I mean, many times we, we, in our prayer life, prayer is action. Believing is action. A lot of things are action. But we don't just pray and sit down. We've talked about here, uh, you know, next Sunday's Easter, so I hope you're going to invite somebody to church. But if you just hear and do nothing, then we'll get the nothing result. And so you have to do something in the kingdom of God. And so here he tells us that, don't do that. Verse 34, poverty will come on you as travail and won't as an armed man. And so if you want poverty to come on you, do nothing. Do nothing. If you want poverty to come on you, do nothing. And, and, and we're producing people that, that do nothing society. It's incredible. You can look at most of the major cities in America, if not all of them, almost all of them, have, have what they have done. They've created a society of people that don't have to do anything but go out and get drunk and, you know, and get on dope and drugs and that kind of thing. And then they, they want to live downtown in a cardboard box outside somebody's business. We call them the homeless. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. If you don't know, look at some of those terrible videos that you can see on YouTube and Twitter and other places like that, and, and people are just strung out on drugs. They ain't got to do nothing. Because people are going by them and say, look, we've got to give you some food. Go, we don't want you to starve to death. Will you do this? Will you do that? No, we won't do any of that. Won't do any of that. No, we, what we can do? We're staying here. As I, I have an uncle I talked to two months ago. He's in California for that exact same reason. He moved to California from South Carolina because the benefits were better out there. He didn't work either place. And out there, he could not work and, and you know, drink all the time. And somebody's going to come along and give him something to eat, whatever, and give him a little place to live and this kind of thing. Out there, and he don't have to work. And, and so the Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. Paul said if a person don't work, they don't do what? They don't eat. And so you say, that's mighty hard. It is, but it will teach you a lesson. And will teach you that you have to get up and do something. Well, it's not just that meager level we're talking about. Also, in the rest of our lives, if you want to see blessing come to your life, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something. And, and so don't sleep, don't slumber, don't fold up your hands, don't be lazy and think things are going to happen for you. It won't. It won't. All right. Notice Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flock. In other words, you need to know where you stand. Remember that I gave you a couple weeks ago, and I've got some more down here at the front you can get after the service if you didn't get one. But this tells you where you list on one side everything that you have, list on the other side everything that you owe on. And then see what the difference is. It's called net worth and accounting, and uh, it will tell us the state of our flocks. And come down here and get one. I had some of my personal notes down here last week. Y'all came down last week, got everything on there, cleared off my personal notes and everything. But anyway, come at the end of the service and, and get you one. I got plenty there. I hid my personal notes this time. All right. And, and, and so, uh, you know, we got to learn where we're at. The first thing you do is you sit down and you say, okay, what have I got? You say, well, okay, I got this house. What does this house cost you? Well, it cost me 350000 Okay. What do you owe? I owe 340000 on this house. How much house you got? 10000 worth. That's all you got. And you got people on television now telling you, you need to cash out of your home. 
You can get $40,000, $80,000, up to $100,000, $10,000. You can cash out on your own. What they're wanting you to do is borrow that rest of that money that you paid for all your life. And you finally did get some equity in your home. Now they're wanting you to borrow it again. Then you'll have no house again. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm living in it. Stop paying the payments and find out whose house it is. That's how it works. All of those things are, are, are just like that, just like that. So you need to know where you stand. Get you one of those. They're up here at the front at the end of the service. Like, get you one. Find out where you stand. Get serious about it. Spend some time. Spend more time about your financial future than you do watching the next movie or the next program that you see on television, whatever it might would be. Spend time. Sit down. Look and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I owe. Where am I at? Am I worth anything? Do I have a net worth? Do I have a negative net worth? And, and it doesn't matter how, how much you make. This, this is the big, I guess, illusion in life. It doesn't matter what you make. I've talked to people over, over my time of ministry, other times as well, talked with people that uh, have great incomes and don't have a dime. It's the most incredible thing in the world. I talked to one, one doctor, uh, in fact, several years ago, when she was a doctor, and, and he made tons of money, tons of money. I mean, you, doctor level, he, he was making at that time two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 a year and was in debt up to his eyeballs. But two fifty or three hundred thousand a year had nothing, had nothing to show. So it's not the money that you make, or the increase of the money, or the, or the amount of money. It's what you do with what you get. So even at the lower level, if you'll start there, Jesus said it like this: He is faithful over little, will be made ruler over much. And so if you want to get to that much level, we got to do something where you're at. And if you do that, you that you can increase. So anyway, we looked at that. We, we saw. As well, in Proverbs 28, verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he makes haste to be rich, shall not be innocent. There is no get-rich-quick scheme. Everything I'm talking about here won't make you a millionaire by next week. None of it will. It will make you a millionaire in the next few years, though, but not by next week. Okay. All right, no get-rich-quick schemes I'm talking about. All right, everybody turn, brand new. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19. Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 5 and verse 9. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. There it is again. Where does riches and wealth coming from? God's given it, isn't he? Every man that God's given riches and wealth, again, it wouldn't be bad or God wouldn't be giving it. All he does is things that are good. James chapter 1. All right. Riches and wealth. And hath given him power to eat thereof. God gave you the power to enjoy it. God gave you that. And to take his portion. Everybody say, my portion. Somebody say it again. Say, my portion. Think, say it like this. My portion is riches and wealth. My portion is not poverty. My portion is riches and wealth. Somebody say, my portion is riches and wealth. That's what he said. I'm just reading what he says. And he says... Here, that he gives the power to eat thereof and take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. <laughs> this is the gift of God. This is God's gift. And so God has made a gift unto us, and he has given us this power to get wealth, teaching understanding, you will see. And it's up to us to use what God has given us. Uh, and we can operate in it if we only choose to do so. One of the biggest things we can do sometimes is be born with a mentality that you're never going to make it. It's never going to happen for you. You can't do anything, and that's only for those other people that's not for you. And as long as you always think it's not for you, it won't ever be for you. 
you have to break out of that kind of mentality, if you want to call it a spirit of poverty, whatever you might call it. In, in fact, this morning, somebody said, break the spirit of poverty off of me. That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Hey, no, the Bible says that Jesus cast out, uh, out the devils with his word. And as I give you this word of the spirit of God, the word of the prosperity, the blessings, the stewardship of the word of God, that's breaking the spirit of poverty in our lives. And you have to break that out. Get that mentality changed in your life. All right. And so it's a gift of God. It can't be bad. It's a gift of God. Riches and wealth. The Bible says this in, in Psalms 112 or 13. You don't have it there. But it says wealth and riches are in the house of the righteous. Wealth and riches are in the house of the righteous. How many are righteous? Say amen. Then wealth and riches are in our house. And that's what you need to keep on saying. Begin speaking that in your heart and your life. Wealth and riches are in my house. Wealth and riches are in my house. All right, look with me in Isaiah 1 and verse 19. In Isaiah 1 verse 19. Notice, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. There are two words there, willing and obedient. If you be willing and obedient. I'm going to break it down something like this. Willing heart decision you have to make a heart decision or a willing decision that you're going to move from where you're at to that next level in your financial life and it may be that you're just trying to say well i just need the money just get my bills paid i'm not talking about anything i just need my bills paid well make a decision i'm going to move to the next level and what we're talking about is going to get you there or maybe you're getting your bills paid to say well i got my bills paid but i never have anything else well, make a decision that you're going to move to that next level. You're going to have something else. Or you have debt in your life. You say, I want to get rid of this debt. Make a decision. You're going to get to the place where you won't have any debt. Debts are gone. Things are happening. You say, well, I want to have, you know, abundance in my life. Make a decision. Become willing in your life. In other words, you have to make that decision on the end of the side, a heart decision. This is over. I'm not going to share it all, but you know that I've told you that in 2008, in that line, we made a decision, we'll never borrow another dime as long as we live. At that point, we had borrowed a lot of dimes. In fact, we owed 135000 well, it would be $135 million, dimes, but we owned $135,000 in debt at that time. But we made a decision right then, we will not borrow another dime. We ain't borrowing no money. It's over, it's done. That's the willing part. That's the willing part. A lot of folks sometimes say, well, I just wish I could do a little bit better and wish I was out of debt. No, you've got to make that decision. Get willing. That's the willing part. It won't happen anymore. I'm not going to do this. It's over, done with. When we made that decision, our world changed around for us. But now notice the next part, obedient. Obedient is something you do. You can't just make a decision and don't make any changing in what you're doing. Because if you keep on doing what you're doing, you'll keep on having what? What you have. Nothing will change. So once you become willing, that's the decision. That's what you decide in your heart. This is as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a decision. But then walking it out saying, I'm not going to go the way of the heathen, as Joshua talked about. I'm not going that way. That's the obedient part. You have to have both. You just can't be willing or say, for me, this is what I want. Yeah, sure, Leon. I, I want to be blessed. Sure, I want to have a financial uh, blessing in my life. I want prosperity. Sure, I want out of debt. Yes, sure, I'm willing. Well, are you obedient? Because, see, you don't get the good of the land. You don't eat the good of the land until you are willing and you are obedient. you got to do both. Be willing and obedient. Willing is the heart decision on the inside. The obedience part is the rules and structure that you walk out and follow on how to do it. 
Ramsey talks about it like this. He talks about the 80-20% rule. He, he says, you know, it, it's 80% behavior. It, it, it's not knowing what to do. That's only about 10 or 20% of it. But it's inside, have you made a decision to behave in a certain way? And that's the big deal. Because you, you can know what to do and still not do it. You can have the rules, instructions, you can have the plans, all of it, and still not do it. You have to first become willing. Once you become willing, then you'll find the rules and the procedures and the things to do, the stewardship, Word of God, financial Word Scriptures, you'll find those, and you will obey those, and that will take you into eating the good of the land. But you don't eat the good of the land if you're not willing. You don't eat it if you're not obedient. You don't eat it if you're not both of those things, willing and obedient, and you eat the good of the land. That's the decision. Everybody say, Father, I'm willing and I'm obedient. Amen. Amen. I'm willing and obedient. I'm going to do both. Now, notice Isaiah chapter 48, verse 70. Once you get willing and obedient, here's what happens. Notice. Thus saith the Lord God, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God, which teaches you to profit. So where am I going to learn this profit structure, these profit principles, profit rules? Where can I learn them at? Well, you know, it's a sad thing in our world. Our world is so messed up, it's unreal. But I went through, you know, 12 years of high school, high school grammar school, junior school, whatever it was, 12 years of public schooling, and they never taught me how to balance, you know, my checkbook. They never taught me how to get rich. They never taught me to stay out of debt. They never taught me that stuff. They taught a lot of stuff, but they never had personal finance as one of the courses I took. And so they graduate you like that, and you don't have a clue what to do or how to do anything. And then you have a bunch of companies just send you credit cards and those kind of things and in the mail and give them to you. And some people will say, well, what happens to me if I make a decision to get out of debt and I cut up my credit card? Well, I'm going to change my mind. Don't worry about it. If you cut up your credit card today and you don't make a few charges in the next few weeks, they'll send you another one. They'll send you five or six or ten or twelve of them. And we get, we get appeals and letters all the time. We get, just last week, somebody sent me a check for 150000 said, please, just sign this. Just sign it. We look on the back of the $150,000 check that they want me to sign, and it says at the bottom, this becomes a contract that you have borrowed this money from us at so much interest. So, you know, there's people everywhere wanting you to go in debt. When Sheila and I first got married in 1973, we got married on October 26th. That same, two months later, we wanted to jump the gun on this thing. In December, Christmas time, uh, we bought her a sewing machine. You've heard the story. And that day, it was expensive. I mean, expensive sewing machine. But we paid $250 for it. We didn't have any credit, didn't have anything. And we had $250. We're going to pay cash for it. But we said, I know, we need to begin building up our credit rating. And so we asked the place at Sears, would you let us do this? Would you let us pay 200 down on it and charge the $50 so that we can pay that by the month and start building up our credit? Because we thought the way to be successfully financially secure was to have a good credit rating. We thought that was it. And from that little $50 we borrowed, we created a life of credit and debt that went all the way from 1973 to 2008. And so we were borrowers and borrowers and borrowers and payers and borrowers and payers and borrowers and payers for all of those years. And all of that kept us, kept us at meager financial level of living all those years. But that's what the world will teach you. And so what you have to learn is God teaches you a way to profit that's not like that. God teaches you a way to profit. If you've got a need in your life, first pray, ask God, supply that need. 
believe him for him to do it. Sometimes he will do it supernaturally. Sometimes he will do it supernaturally in your life. It's incredible. Sometimes he will bless you. I'll tell you about uh, my dad that left uh, six acres of land. Uh, well, that happened. And, and then Walmart moved beside of us. They moved the road front out front. And Walmart gave us an acre and a half of land. So now we're up to eight and a half acres of land at that point. And then later, W.R. Grace Company sued us to get the right away to their land behind us, another nine acres on the back, and sued us to want to get there. We went to court and said, no, you're not going through my land unless you pay me for it. They said, we're not paying you. I said, you're not going. And they said, well, we'll see. I said, sue away. And they did. We represented ourselves in court, won the case, and now we have 18 acres of land, never bought any of it. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich. Somebody say amen. It will. It will. But you have to be bold. You have to be courageous and do some of those things. And you've got to be courageous when you say, I'm not going to borrow any money again. You might be shaking when you say it, shaking when you say it. But stand on your faith. No, I'm not borrowing money anymore. God will supply my need. He will bless me. He will put things into my, my hands and my pockets. He will do for me. God will provide for me. And he will. He will if you'll trust and faith, have faith in him. All right, let's go to Malachi 3.10. Here we are, Malachi 3.10. Somebody said, I knew he was going there. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10, you probably got it memorized. The most convicting scripture in all of the church world. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes. Tithe is a 10%. Can't help it. That's what tithe means. We get the word 10. Tithe. Both story T. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. Okay, everything you see here, all $3.5 million worth of property and building, everything that you see here that's paid for, every bit of that came because of people obeying this one verse. That's why it came. I, I mean, you, you know, to, you, thank God for every gift that we're able to give, our love offerings. They, they bless. That's wonderful. That, that's, that's fine. But the way that you will financially uh, fund a church ministry is through tithing. It's through tithing. And, and, and for that reason, we never come up here and say, oh, man, things are going rough. Would you please give some money? Would you please do that? We don't ever do that. We don't say we've got this emergency need. We don't, we don't do that. We don't do it. All I do is one thing. We just say this. If you pay and give your tithe, all the needs to be met. And it's just that simple. Now, notice it says there, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The store, what's your storehouse? That's the place where you keep your food that you store it, that you get fed. And so as you are fed in the house of God, this house of God becomes your storehouse. And so as you're fed, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Notice that there might be meat in the house. That's how there becomes meat in the house is that we give and we share and bless. We, we had our Christmas meal that we had. How I many enjoyed the Christmas dinner we had? Everybody say amen. Well, it cost the church $2,200 to give you that, $2,200 to set that plate on the table. How'd that get there? Tithing and giving. That's how it got there. That's how it got. So that there might be meat in our house. Notice that. Now, it goes a little bit further than that, not just the upkeep of the house of God. There's a lot of things like that. If you remember the Lions Club, the Rotary Club, I don't know the structures fully. But if you remember, I'm sure they got dues. They got membership fees. Or you could be a member of, of a golf course or somewhere. I heard about the other day somebody's telling me about a golf course. That they paid like $35,000 a year to be a member of that thing. I mean, you know, there are fees and structures for a lot of things uh, in this earth. But in the, in the church, it's the tithe that supports the ministry of the church. And so that being said, now look what God says. God said, prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts. Notice the word prove. I've read King James. Some of yours may say, test me. 
It's the only time in the Bible where God says that, where he says, test me and see. Try giving, try tithing, and see if this won't happen. Well, what, God, what will happen? If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. In other words, God says if you'll tithe and you'll give and support his work, in this day it would have been the tabernacle, it would have been the temple in that day. In our day it's the church. If you would do that, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. How many wants an open window from heaven? Well, there's how you get it right there. I can't pray it into you. I can't bless it into you. I can't pronounce I can't do it. It's all up to you. It's absolutely up to me. And so Sheila and I understanding this for a long time, and my dad taught it to me. When I started working at 14 years of age, I tithe. I tithe every dime I've ever made my whole life. Whether I was a preacher or not, I tithe. It didn't matter. I tithe. And my dad taught me that. When I was 14, when I, when I played in the nightclubs, and even though it was ungodly business, a filthy, dirty, evil business I was in, I played in the nightclubs and stuff like that, I still tithe my money. I still tithe my money. Somebody said, well, would you take tithes from my work in our club? Yeah, bring it on in. What God has sanctified, don't you call unholy. Somebody say amen. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, what you want somebody to do with it? Go give it to the devil? No. No, that's what's happening now on the street of Lawrence Square. We can create that open-air beer joint they just made up there. Go up there and look. Go up and look on the square. They've got tables and chairs up there now. This thing's broke, broke wild and going to get wilder. And you need to have some people that, that are blessed and can do some things about some of this stuff. It's crazy. Just out on the end of, uh, you know, Great Court. Has anybody seen the, the God Loves Trans Children big billboard that's out there on Highway 385? You know where the pallet place is, where they put those pallets together? Right there. You know who put that up? The AFFA? A, a, a group of Americans for full family acceptance. Code word for accept gays, homosexuals, and transgenders. That, that's what the company is. It's the same company that our mayor in the city of Lawrence represented for several years as their legal authority and set on their board of trustees. The same company. Same one. And so when you look at what's going on in this earth, some of those things can be addressed if you and I will stand up, but stand up with clout and stand up with power and stand up with authority and not be pushed back. It's very courageous. And, and, and so those things are going on in the earth, and we're just letting the earth tell us how we're going to live and what's going to happen. No, we're going to do what God's told us to do. We're going to tithe. We're going to give. God's opened up the windows of heaven to us. And as he does that, we have blessings that are not room enough to receive it. Verse 11, notice what else God says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. You want somebody to come in and rebuke the devil out of your finances? Well, tithe and give. You do that, then he says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And that's when you pray, and that gives you authority when you pray. You pray, Lord God, I'm a tither and I'm a giver. In Jesus' name, I'm not going to suffer a decrease in this thing. I'm going to increase in the name of Jesus. That gives you the authority. But if you know that you've been disobedient to God, and you're tithing and you're giving, if you know that, you don't have that authority to pray that. You'll try to pray it, and while you're praying it, the devil will say to you, you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do financially, so, well, I guess not, so I guess I don't have any faith, and I can't pray that prayer. But there's a power in obedience. There's a power in doing. It is so freeing just to do what is right. I mean, whether you got a little money or a lot of money, it doesn't matter. And I hear people sometimes say, boy, if I win the lottery, I'll give all that money. 
Well, my question usually is, well, are you giving now? Well, no, not right now. But if I won the lottery, I would. No. If you can't write a $10 check off of 100 or if you can't write a $100 check off of 1000 you're not going to write a $1 million check off of a $10 million lottery win. Mm -mm. When you see them figures go up like that and you start spending bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger money, Wow, I mean, it's a bunch. It gets scary. I mean, it's not going to put more courage and faith in you to tithe and give. It's going to take it away from you. And so be obedient with what little you have. It will turn into a lot in your life. Now, go with me real quick, Matthew 6, 33. Moving a little slower this morning. But Matthew 6, verse 33, got some, a lot of stuff to cover. Notice, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Turn back to Matthew 6, and let me just read some of that to you. Because notice what it's saying here. Matthew 6 and verse 33 is the verse I've read. But if you go back to verse 24, Matthew 6 and verse 24, A.J. bounced on it just a little bit today. No man can serve two masters. He'll either have, um, uh, hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise, or dis, or, yeah, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Says Christians, you have to make a decision. You can't serve God and at the same time try to serve money. Well, what is mammon? That mammon, I read one particular scripture where it said mammon was a personified, personified thing. Personified means person-related. It's like you can't serve God, you can't serve the devil. But the devil, working through currency, working through money, and if he can use money to get you and I to not be obedient to God and give up on God, he's got the rest of us. He's got the rest of us. If God's got your pocket and God's got your wallet and God's got your purse, if God's got your savings account, your investments, if God's got all those things, he's got your heart. He's got you. But if he don't have all those things, if he don't have, if you say, Lord, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't, I can't. You do not give God of your financial blessing that God's given you. And you don't give him your money. You have a very serious heart trouble with God. You have very serious problem with God. You're just playing a game. You're not for real. I mean, if you're not. And, and, and so just, just get real with the thing. Make a choice. I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to let my money tell me what to do. I'm going to let God tell me what to do. And if God says that I give and I share and I, and I tithe and I bless and I, all these things that I do, then that's what I'm going to do. You say, well, what if you don't have enough money here? There, It doesn't matter to me. Because I'm going to honor God first. If I honor him first, the Bible teaches me what he will do. He will bless me and bless me and bless me and bless me. But, but if I don't, I, I'm just dependent upon what the world does for me. And they don't do much. They don't do much. Now, notice here in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought of your life. Don't be worried. Don't be anxious about it. Of your life saying, what shall I eat? So, so it's not food that I'm not going to be concerned about food. I don't have any concern about food, not concern about eating or what I drink. Notice he said the birds of the air, verse 26, uh, they sow not, and, they don't, and neither do they reap or whatever. They don't gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How many thinks you're really worth more than a bird? I do. If God's going to take care of the birds, don't you think he'll take care of you? So why would I be holding back on money from God? Not going to do it. Verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? You can't grow yourself any taller. You, you, you can't do it. What about your raiment? Raiment, verse 28. What about taking your thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. 
how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And Solomon was the wealthiest man who ever lived. And yet he couldn't buy clothing wealthy enough to match what God has just given to the lilies free of charge. So if God's going to clothe the lilies, he's going to do that for them. He's going to bless me. He's going to take care of me. He's going to give me something to wear. He's going to give me clothing to wear. He will. Verse 30, wherefore, if God clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is gone, gone into the oven, shall not he much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. My, thinking God would do more for his creation than you do with you, and you're the top of God's creation. Therefore, take no thought, saying, verse 31, uh, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. We have a world that's built on seeking those things, and, and that's their whole life. That's your whole life. It is amazing. Prices have gone through the roof on a lot of things. And if you go up 35, building houses on both sides of the road, and imagine some people live their lives for nothing more to do than, than uh, to drive the brand-new car, to live in a brand-new house, brand-new clothes, and a brand-new iPhone, and they work day and night to pay for all that all their life. That's all their life. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing. People going at the Gentiles are seeking all of those things. We want more stuff, 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 and even more stuff. We're not happy unless we've got the latest and the greatest. We want the best. We want the top of the line. We want this, and we want more stuff. Some people live their lives that way. Now, you can have the latest and greatest if you can afford to pay for it. Somebody say amen. You can have all Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with it. But don't let stuff be your God, and don't put stuff as your God and not depending on God. Notice what he keeps saying. Verse 33. All these things, oh, verse 32, after all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. God knows what you have need of. That's why I've always said, and I've experienced in my own life, I hear people talk about, well, God may not be there when you want him, but he'll be there in time. No, 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 no. He'll be there on time, but I found God there way ahead of time. Weeks, months, and years ahead of time. Yeah, he's not just holding out, making you want to sweat and worry, and will God come through this time? No, he comes through every time. Usually way ahead of time. Verse 33, but seek you first. Everybody say first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added in you. Put God first in your life. And the stuff, the things, the land, the houses, the cars, the clothes, the whatever you want to say, the stuff gets added if I put God first. That's the promise I have. So my, it's like, sort of like this, it's like coming up on the greatest investment opportunity you ever had. And wow, you just got to get into it quick as you can. That's what this is. It's the greatest investment opportunity you've ever had that if I put God first in my life, you mean to tell me if I put God first in my life, he can provide all these other things for me? Well, hey, that's a no-brainer. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why would I even think about that one second? No, I'm doing that. I'm all in. Count me in. I'm doing that. That's what I'm going to do in life. I am putting God first, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Don't t think about tomorrow. Uh, for tomorrow, will take care of itself. There's enough evil in that day, you know, it's going to happen. So I'm not concerned about the, the future or anything. As long as I put God first in my life, he will take care of my future. How many believes that? Say amen. All right, turn away real quick to John, and we're going to do this, and I'm going to close right here. John. I'm going to read you something that's outside of your scriptures here, but the Lord just spoke this in my heart, and I'm going to give it to you. Look at John chapter 12. John 12. 
Now, when we put God first, you know how you put God first in your life? You say, how do you do that? One way, you talk about finances, we've talked about all this time. Put your money first. Give God what's his. Get that done, and then you go on and do whatever else you want to do. And then sometimes you, you, you can tithe, and sometimes other times you can, you can give, and you can be a big blessing where God's laid on your heart to give and share and bless somebody else. And go ahead and do that too. I mean, do whatever God's told you to do, and there'll be blessing. There'll be reward for what you've done. But another way you can put God first is when you put people first. When you put people ahead of you. A.J. mentioned it. In front of you, you've got that little card there, that blue and white card that says you can invite someone, and we've got some door hangers at the back. Let me show you something, because this is Palm Sunday. In the religious world, the church religious world, we talk about it, the calendar. This is known as Palm Sunday. In John 12, verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Notice Jesus and Lazarus were there. He comes to Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus all live where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead. <laughs> he had been dead, but he's alive now. Verse 2, there they made a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them at the table. Twice it's mentioned Lazarus. Two times we've heard about Lazarus being at this, you know, dinner meal they're going to be having. You can read the rest of it. You can see Mary's wonderful offering uh, that she brings and anoints Jesus for his burial. But then go on down to verse 9. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was, in, he was there. Listen to this. Much people knew he was there. And they came not for Jesus. You see that? Lazarus is there. Twice we know it. Now we're telling that everybody that gained up there in their house that night for dinner, they didn't come for Jesus. Look at 9. Sake only, but that they might see Lazarus. I mean, here's a man, Lazarus, said, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And everybody wanted to come see him. Jesus here? Well, that's good. We, we, we're glad he's here, too. We'll take a look at him in a minute. But right now, I want to see Lazarus. You, you see what it's saying? Let, let's just keep following him. Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, the chief priests consulted then that they might put Lazarus also to death. Even the religious community knew while they were all gathered there that Lazarus, yeah, we're going to kill him, too. We, we got plans for Jesus. We're going to get him. Before we have to kill Jesus, we'll have to kill Lazarus too. Lazarus is the draw. He's the drawing card. He's the event coordinator. He's the one setting all this up. Look what happens. Because that by reason of him, who? Lazarus. By the reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Because of Lazarus, they're believing on Jesus. Because of Lazarus, they come into the house. Because Lazarus is there, and he's got this great testimony that he's dead, and now he's alive. Now, if you keep reading all the way down, you can find a little bit more. But let's go just a little bit further as we get into it. Uh, about, let's see, about verse 16. These things understood his disciples at first, but when Jesus was uh, glorified, then remembered they that, that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, verse 17, the people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. The testifiers are those that saw Lazarus. They're back, that's, that's what they're doing there. And for this cause, verse 18, they also met him, and for they heard that he had done this miracle. That's the cause. That's what brought them there. Lazarus. They heard about it. Somebody talked about it. That's why they're there. When we talk about inviting people to church for Easter, your biggest thing you can do is for you personally to be Lazarus. 
and you say, hey, Jesus is in the house. We're going to get you there. But everybody, they hear, they think religion, they think this, that, the other. But when they see you and know what God's done in your life and how God has changed you, you are Jesus' drawing card. People come in the house because of you. Do not underestimate the power of your testimony of what God's done for you. We sung a song years ago. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Remember that song? We're talking about what God has done for us. He can do it for you too. Be a testimony this week. Take this golden opportunity you get once a year on this very high occasion when people's minds are more open to the resurrection, to Christ, to church, to those good things that the Lord wants us all to always be doing, but they're more open to it now than ever, and you be Lazarus. You be a testimony. Let it be because of you. They came into the house. They met Jesus, but you were their drawing cord. Stand with me this morning. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and let's make our confession and our prayers we pray today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Stretch your hands up toward heaven with me. Would you do that all over the building? Come on, come on, let's do that. Everybody that will, just stretch your hand up toward heaven. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Look into my heart and my life. Anything there not like Jesus, take it away. Any sin you would find, purge it with your blood and wash it away. I today commit to serve you, Lord Jesus all the days of my life. And Father, because I'm your servant, I am your witness. I am willing and I am obedient. Touch my heart, my life, bring into my path this week someone that needs you. And Lord God, I will be your witness. In Jesus' name, somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Glad you're in the house today. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com, so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross and you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him Jesus I confess you are Lord of my life in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer welcome you're now in the family of God you're a child of God connect with us let us know if you prayed that prayer we want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ God bless you.